Hello and welcome to the Hot Copy Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. Now we know as working copywriters that while we put our love, our heart, our soul, our everything into our clients' marketing, we tend to sometimes neglect our own. So today we've got a special episode focusing in on exactly what you need to do as a copywriter to build your business, to boost it, to make you more people more aware of who you are, to build your authority, to build trust. And these tips are going to work both for your own business, but you can also apply them to your clients too. So I'm alone again. It's just me this week, no Belinda, but I have a wonderful guest who I'll introduce straight after this lovely piece of music. My name's Kate Toon. I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the Recipe for SEO Success Learning Hub. And with me today is the lovely Sarah Berry. Hello, Sarah. Hi. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to dig into this episode. We've got 10 tips to share. We struggled for number 10. Uh, we, were, we were thinking we might have nine tips, but it just didn't sound as good. So we we've, we've, we've found 10 uh, and we're going to dig into them today. But let me first start by introducing you. So you originally hailed from London and you landed your first job in marketing and advertising in the late 80s. Sarah's career began in the London Advertising Playground, where she was a little bit wet behind the ears when she joined fellow alumni and entered the big world of JWT, Saatchi's, Ogilvy, Colette Dickinson-Pierce, who the heck are they, <laughs> at all. Uh, and it's interesting because I've worked at a few of those agencies too. Advertising and Sarah kind of matured together. Advertising was growing up and art was meeting science as customer behavior was scrutinized, segmented and psychoanalyzed. Copy and design were tested and brands were given personality and positioned as the customer's friends. And Sarah was immersed in it all. It was an incredible way to cut her teeth in the industry. Those days, early days, provided a solid foundation from which she's built her career spanning some 20 years and has included marketing for banks, health insurance, manufacturers, engineers, travel, non-government department, and soap. Soup. Soap, eh? Soup or soap? Soup. I've done soup and I've done soap. Oh. There you go. <laughs> uh, so lovely to have you here. So you, you worked in the lovely land of agency long, long ago. A long, long ago, yes. When the, when the streets of London were paved with gold and it was uh, everyone else's budget that paid for it. I know. I worked at... Um, <laughs> I worked in Golden Square at M&C Saatchi. Do you remember there was Saatchi's and there was yes. M&C? And I worked for this horrendous creative director. And our, the client that we had was the Conservative Party. Excellent. Lucky you. Oh, and it was the days when I, I was just a bint, apparently. And I, I didn't actually get to do any work other than go to Liberty and pick up his ties. <laughs> And buy him soup at lunch. And he used to put his cigarettes out. He had a big bowl. <laughs> He'd have a bowl of cereal in the morning and then he'd put his cigarettes out into the bowl of cereal. And that was my job to empty that. It was good times, wasn't it? Good times, yes. Yeah, yeah I wasn't overly fond of the advertising agencies, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, funny. I went back into one recently and... Uh, and uh, when I was doing a presentation on something and, and that familiar smell of kind of wood floors, alcohol <laughs> and, and terror... That was what I could smell emanating from the agency. Must admit, it gave me a bit of a wobbly tummy. But anyway, the good thing about having that experience in agencies and working with big brands is you do learn the tricks of the trade and you learn lots of different ways to market yourself, even when you don't have that 
big budget. So the tips that you've got for us today, they can be applied to small business, to your own business and to your sexy clients as well. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Well, let's get started with number one, our number one win or our number one tip, which is understand your customer. Now, this is a fundamental, but take it away, Sarah. Why? Is um, it is a fundamental, but is commonly ignored. Um, in my last six or so years in working for myself, um, I have really found that a lot of customers don't spend any time on this question. Um, but then when they do, they actually do see the real value in it. So nowadays we talk about these as buyer personas and avatars and all sorts of things. I mean, you and I would know it started off as target audience. Um, it's all the same thing, Emperor's New Clothes, but basically it's really about understanding the detail behind your customer and really what it is that they're looking to do. And this is really important because as small business owners, we don't have a lot of cash to flash about, right? So getting this bit right is fundamental. So you talk, you're going you're gonna to mention, and I, and I just want to interject here, uh, today my designer asked me who my ideal customer was, uh, and I was like, oh, don't you know, do you know what I mean? And she was like, you know, I said, it's like small businesses, like humans. And she was like, you're going to have to narrow it down a bit more than that. And I kind of hated her for making me answer that, because I don't mm-hmm. know, it's really mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm, this is my job. But when you actually ask me as a copywriter who my ideal customers are, I find it really difficult to say. So what are some roots into this? How do we get that laser sharp focus on who our customers are? Um, So I think a lot of it is really around, I like to use the word ethnography, um, which is kind of like the study of culture. So it's really understanding um, your client's behaviour, what makes them tick, some of the questions they ask themselves, some of the barriers around just running their general day-to-day life. Because most of us as small business owners run households, other businesses, families. Um, So, you know, actually life is really complex and and really getting behind what makes people tick um, is the really valuable part of this. I actually do have, um, I don't know if it's relevant to say, but I do have an exercise um, that I do go through with clients um, that's sitting on my blog. So you're more than welcome to go and have a look at that and uh, really go through the details of what you actually need to do specifically. I would say, um, interesting that you say that, Kate, that um, people roll their eyes and they do. And I get that a lot. And um, I am quite persistent in this one. Um, and I actually sort of take the, uh, the eye rolling um, and tell people categorically that they need to do it. Um, because I actually had a client just uh, last week that said to me, I know I was really painful about doing this, but I'm really glad that I did. Because you're not going to believe it, my buyer persona just walked into my clinic. And she was ecstatic. So it meant that the marketing that we had developed through understanding who her customer was brought them into her practice. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few different ways. I mean, it's something that I teach in the first week of the, the recipe course, how to identify your audience. I like what you said about, you know, thinking behind the personality, not looking, I think often people think, oh, it's demographic stuff. It's they're females and they're 38 and they live here. It's, it's going beyond that. And I like to use the BDF principle, beliefs, desires, and fears. So really drilling down into like preconceived beliefs people might have about working with you, what they're scared of and what end result they're looking for. And that really can help you identify how these people tick and therefore who they are, those insights, everything. And I think it's exactly what you said. It means that you start 
attracting the customers you want, but just as important, it means you start repelling the customers you don't want. Exactly. A really important one for copywriters yeah. here, yeah, yeah, and yeah. this is a great segue into your next win, is you know, one of the personality traits or values that you might value from your customer or your customer avatar is that they've got money to spend. Yes, right? that's always good, having that's money. Good one. You know, so that, therefore that changes the type of customer you're looking at. It might not be the startup. It might not be the mum business. It might be mean that you actually do start looking towards more professional services customers. Anyway, something to think about. We could talk about that all day. Okay. But let's get into win number two. And I like this. Don't find clients for yourself services find services for your clients okay take it away so um you know again uh, you and i have been talking about how we've been in this for a long while and it always used to be back in the olden days that we would kind of develop a product or service and then slap something on at the end um and now um we have the opportunity with all of the digital devices at our hands um to be able to actually test products and services before we put them out to the market so i do like to do a bit of um, Seth Godin quoting here, which is remar remarkable marketing is the art of building things worth noticing right into your product or service and not slapping on marketing as a last minute add-on. I tell you, Kate, it really breaks my heart when I get um, clients that come to me that have spent a lot of money on trying to market a product that there isn't actually a market for. Um, so that's why this kind of really is, is number one in many ways um, because this is going to save you a lot of money. Um, so ultimately it's about actually developing um, your value proposition. So you might start with something um, and you would then sort of ask maybe if you've got some people you're um, in connection with on LinkedIn, um, you know, you may have a Facebook group, um, you may have an email list and you may actually just start with something as a concept and put it out to the marketplace. Networking, you know, we all roll our eyes when we talk about networking, but I always say to clients that networking is a great way to test your value proposition and what, what it is you want to take to market. Um, so, and also me means that networking is um, actually not quite so painful. Um, there's lots of blogs out there. We talk about slightly sidetracking about networking and how much we hate it. But if you go to networking with a view to having sort of like a partially developed product or a service and actually asking for people's interests, it's a great conversation starter too. Um, so this is really just um, a process of, you know, as I said, testing, test, test, test. Yep, I agree. And I think, you know, if we apply this to our clients, it's fairly straightforward. But if we apply it to ourselves as copywriters, because obviously this is tips for copywriters, it's about really thinking about what, what products and services do you have that are more popular and how can you package those up into something? What things, you know, you're in groups, you're in Facebook groups and you see the struggles of potential customers, their frustrations, uh, what what products and services could you develop to meet those rather than going out there and going, I am a blog post writer. Maybe that's not what people want. Maybe what people want is for someone to, to come up with a structure for their blog or to review their blog post once it's written. Maybe they don't want the whole kit and caboodle. So totally understanding your customer's goals and then developing products to fit rather than kind of trying to shoehorn the customer into the product. Right? Precisely. Exactly. Yeah. That. yeah. Okay, well, now the next tip that we've got, the next win that we can have for, for, for marketing our copywriting business is to try to differentiate ourselves from our competition. Now, we know that this is a struggle. 
you know, I've got something like 155 copywriters in my membership group and we're all so different. We are all individuals, as they shout. <laughs> but how do we go about differentiating? I can't even say it, let alone do it. How do we go about differentiating ourselves from our competition? Um, yeah, that is actually a really hard one nowadays, um, and which is why I kind of refer to the previous one and looking at that whole value proposition design. Um, but really, this is fundamentally about knowing your clients and what it is they need, and then communicating that across everything you do. So that really is that um, communications consistency and usually having one key message um, that, that then is kind of repeated across all of your, um, your assets, whether it be your website or if you're developing flyers or if you're doing social media. Um, one of the things that I find really interesting these days in this respect and speaking to copywriters, I think I'm probably preaching to the converted here a little bit, but it actually is the magic of tone of voice. Um, really, um, we're able to develop one-to-one -one relationships with our customers and clients now um, through our tone of voice. Um, I think we were looking at yesterday, um, there was a post that went up in one of the uh, Facebook groups that had, uh, I think it was a sunbeam kettle or something, and on the bottom of it, they put, put on there, stop looking at my bottom. Um, I actually think this came from one of the juices over in the UK originally, um, but that that um, ability to actually um, create creative cut through through a language and a tone of voice and words, I think is a really good way these days to differentiate yourself from your competition. But as I say, I mean, we're all copywriters here, right? So maybe we should be already um, aware of that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's different ways to differentiate, aren't there? You can, you can niche down in, into a particular industry or you can niche down into a particular type of copywriting or you can be a generalist but have a really strong voice. It's funny, I'm almost seeing it being carried to too much of an extreme these days where people, everyone's so desperate to be different that they're like effing and blinding and, and you know, they're like, hey, girl, do you want to copy that blah, 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 blah. And yeah. for me, it's... It, become, it can become slightly narcissistic and slightly ego writing because ultimately, yeah, we want to have a tone of voice. It has to be our tone of voice because ultimately we're going to get on the phone. Yeah, get on the phone with the client. And when we're not all like, hey, girl, how are you doing? They're going to be like, oh, it's a different person. And I've seen that happen a few times recently with people who really went to the extremes to be different, but then they couldn't follow it through when it happened. So I think, you know, don't push being different just for the sake of being different. You have to be authentic, as you said. Authentic is such a word at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, win number four. Have a goal in mind and be specific. Okay, what do you mean by this? Um, so it, well, generally I like to work um, with marketing as a business process. So what's the return on investment or what is it that you're actually looking to change in your business? Um, so you really need to have a goal in mind with anything that you're doing. So I kind of work to a rule of what I call stractics um, because I think a lot of small business owners don't necessarily have the time to do this whole strategy thing. So I like to tie a tactic and build the strategy through that whole process. Um, so your goal may be to increase the number of uh, clients that work with you, um, but you sort of need to be specific around what that exactly looks like. So, um, you know, it could be that initially, if you've just opened your copywriting business, that really what you need to be doing is building your awareness. 
So um, in some instances, it could be, you know, you start off um, a Facebook page with only half a dozen people and you know that by um, communicating um, your uh, product and service across a variety of social medias that your Facebook page starts to grow, then that could be seen as um, a goal that you would have set and there's a measurement around that. Um, whether or not that's a good example for this instance, but usually they tend to be fairly monetary focused. I love that because it's something we talk about a lot in the copywriting community and that there can be this pressure to be constantly marketing and producing stuff and being out there and you're just kind of doing stuff for the sake of doing it. I, I, I'm the same. So it's really important to think about those stages, awareness, you know, demand, repeat, return customers at every piece of marketing you do, which of those boxes is it ticking? And if it's not really ticking anything, like if you've got a really solid flow of clients and they're coming back to you again and again and again, do you need to be putting 50 quotes on Instagram, you know, or would you be better off remarketing to your existing customers? You know, if you've got nobody you know, you want to speak at events and you're trying to build up your profile as a speaker, what kind of marketing do you need to be doing? But I think there's this tendency to just do random stuff and not tie it back to the goal. I think that's so, so important. The spray and pray. Spray and pray. It's, mm-hmm. it, I mean, we all do it, but I think it's a really good point. What is, I'm writing a blog post. What do I want this blog post to achieve? Could it actually achieve a better result if I actually put it on someone else's website rather than my own? You know, have a, just, confronting yourself and asking yourself those difficult questions and that brings us nicely to the next question of what landscape are we operating in where are we doing this marketing what information do we need so this is tip number five take us through your thoughts on this so um uh, yeah i think uh, one of the reasons one of the main reasons that one in three small businesses fail in their first year is because they don't actually stand the market understand the marketplace that they're operating in um so it's actually sort of thinking about the macro environment looking at the competition um the trends um and probably the most important one right now is that whole technological um disruption that we're currently kind of going through um so you need to be really looking when you have this when you go through this process at understanding what the gaps in the marketplace are and whether or not there's actually an unserved niche so that's really as a small business owner why you go through that process of understanding the environment and look it's much much easier these days to do that because of the internet and then really being clear about what the gap in the market is and then using your strengths to leverage into that marketplace and then that ties back to how you communicate who your customer persona is and it's all related in, in a big circle. Okay, so uh, that all sounds very good in principle, but I'm going to force you now to give me an example of that. I'm a copywriter. I've just started out. How do I do a SWOT analysis? How do I, how do I even begin to find out what the gap in the market is? Well, how would you do that? So I think initially it would be by understanding your strengths. Um, and your core capabilities. So in the example of uh, a copywriter, if you're really, really good at writing annual reports, for example, um, you know, if you're actually to then zero in, because rather than what, what that happens, when what how that changes things is you're then actually looking at copywriters that write annual reports rather than looking at just copywriters. So then straight away you can see within your local environment, for example, um, 
you know, I guess these days with, with technology, uh, geography isn't that important. But from, um, from a launching your business perspective, sometimes, you know, having local networks is quite valuable. So if you're looking locally, um, you know, at people that copywriters for, for annual reports, how many are there? You know, is the market currently flooded? Or actually, are there people that are doing annual reports for corporate um, in certain sectors? And there may be an opportunity in um, other sectors that are under service that need annual reports, those sorts of things. Um, but um, it's really about, I guess, making the most of the opportunities that exist out there. But equally, um, you know, in many cases, maybe there actually um, isn't a marketplace. So we we're talking about not having a lot of a lot of dollars. And you know, me seeing this uh, a lot, where people sort of go come to you and say, you know, I've done all of the things, I've spent all the money, and it's not working. And it's because they didn't undertake this first step, and the market is flooded or there's someone who's actually incredibly amazing at the particular thing they've decided to do and there's no there's no there's no easy way of getting in there yeah. so yeah sometimes it is that kind of real reality check I like that. I like focusing in on personality traits. I think sometimes we do these things subconsciously because I'm thinking back to when I started. And when I first started, I, you know, I thought, well, you know, you've got to do proofreading and editing and, and, you know, I'll put all these services up. But the truth is I'm a terrible proofreader and I can't spell and I have very little grasp of grammar, but I am good at kind of writing very conversational, chatty copy. Um, and while I didn't, I must admit, I didn't do a SWOT analysis, that kind of became my... Raison d'être. I'm going to say raison d'être because I want to say something in French. And, you know, the truth is as well, even if there are a lot of people playing in that space, I think there's always room for one more because the truth is most working copywriters, they can only have so many clients. So do you know what I mean? Like I'm in Australia, I was pretty much at the top of the rankings for copywriter and all these other phrases for ages, but it still didn't mean I could do all the work. Do you know what I mean? And it also meant I didn't want to do all the work and That's I picked it. and chose my client. So there was, you know, it's that whole, <laughs> this is a really bad analogy, but I think it works. You know how they say that like, if you want to have a successful restaurant, build your restaurant next to the most successful restaurant in yes. town yeah. because it will get booked up. It'll be full and the people have to go somewhere. So they'll go to you. So don't be put off by the fact that there are 17 annual report copywriters. You can niche down further or you can actually just be another good annual report copywriter. That can be enough. Yeah, I think definitely the niching, as you said, is really, really critical so that people actually understand that that's the particular area that you work in straight away and it's immediately obvious that that's what you do. And I think that's, you said that earlier, like being known for one thing. This is something that we discuss a lot again in the group is, you know, being known for one thing does not preclude you from doing many things. Definitely. It's that elevator pitch is being able to walk into a room and go, I'm Bob and I do this, you know, or when people are that whole line about your brand is who you are, what people say about you when you're not in the room. So, you know, you want people to be able to very quickly describe what you do. And yes, you may do millions of things. I, for one, have about 17 different hats. But if people, if I were to ask people what I do, most people would know me for SEO copywriting. Yeah. And that's fine. It's not all I am. I'm so much more. But it, it's a starting point. And it's a good, lucrative starting point. And my dog is going crazy. He does not agree. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing, which is understanding your vision, having a vision for your marketing. This sounds a bit woo-woo, Sarah. Yes, 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 I know. This is another eye-rolling moment. I'm rolling. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, you know, I probably would have been eye rolling with you as well, but I have actually kind of seen this work. And this is often um, in that phase that we all go through as business owners when you just hit uh, rock bottom. Um, you know, you lose your mojo. We all lose our mojo at some point or Don't another. look at my bottom. You've said bottom <laughs> twice in this episode. <laughs> I've got a bottom counter going on. It's going to be a prize for you if you can count the number of times we've said bottom. Just submit it in the comments at hotcopypodcast.com. Keep going, Sarah. Sorry. Um, yes, yeah, so your vision is going to, in those cases, really help you to um, maintain the vigor and fervor for your business. Um, again, you know, working with clients on a regular basis, often it will be that, you know, they'll be um, angry, upset, things aren't working out as they planned. You know, we all know that this freelance working for yourself gig is hard sometimes. Um, so having something to draw drive you ahead is really, really important. Um, so, and also what it enables you to do is sort of check off those little mini wins along the way. Um, if something doesn't work in the here and now and it's not contributing, um, then, you know, having an, an, an idea of how it contributes to the longer term goal really helps us um, to keep going. On the dark days. Yeah, it's like, you know, know, they talk about Simon Sinek and his why. Everyone gives him credit for coming up with that. But I'm I'm sure someone had mentioned it before, Simon. You need to have that big picture vision. And it it doesn't have to be something grandiose. You know, you don't have to be sort of saving starving children in Africa. It could be a financial goal. It could be a lifestyle goal. It could be whatever you want. And I think it is that big picture because it, the days are dark and also it takes a while you know we are eating this elephant one nibble at a time Mm -hmm. and so you may not think that that little post that you did or that little effort that you did in your marketing on Wednesday achieved anything that day but years later it comes back I mean sorry we've been interacting online for a long time I started you know banging on about SEO about three years ago no one was listening no one cared maybe four years ago maybe five and it's taken until now for it to snowball. And now people will say things like, you're the queen of SEO, which I found very awkward. Yes, you but are. It didn't, it didn't happen overnight. It was a big, long mm. goal. I took little nibbles. I had my vision. And my vision was to demystify the world of SEO. And it's taken yonks. Mm. But you need your why. Um, I think that's so important. So it was woo-woo. We've allowed a bit of woo-woo. And I'm just going to say bottom one more time. Bottom, bottom, bottom. Let's talk about win number seven, sales processes. I can feel all our listeners going, as they wiggle their shoulders, sales, we don't want to sell, yuck. You're not going to mention the F word, are you? Are you going to mention funnels? No. Oh, okay. No, I'll try not to. Because, I mean, I think, you know, we all talk about funnels now. Yeah, I said the F word. Um, But it's just another one of those words, you know, like buyer personas. It's all just jargon. Um, I I call it a a process. I think marketing is a business process and sales is a huge big part of that. And if you're not doing the sales alongside the marketing, then you're pretty much on a hiding to nothing in most cases. Um, You'd remember, Kate, in the olden days, uh, the sales and marketing department used to be together um you know now i think it's really because of technology it's a really integrated process um look i'm guilty 
when I started my business, I'm guilty. I hate sales. I really, really loathe it. Um, and I thought I would win people over with my wonderful personality. Well, hair took me a long, hard road to realize that that was never going to happen. Um, you know, so having a process in place, um, again, is part of almost part and parcel of uh, what we were talking about before in kind of having a vision the process um, of sales is, is very similar in that respect so okay we talk about opt-ins so how are you first going to get someone um, to become part of your um, universe or universe yeah, yeah if you like um, and I think opt-in is one of those things that everyone talks about these days um, that, that is one way there are many other ways um, but the idea is to start with something and to end with something and obviously that something is a sale now how big or small that is um, will affect the whole process but having something mapped out um, and understanding um, for me what was happening was um, speaking personally is I was finding that um, my customers were getting stuck in the middle and sometimes it was six months eight months to a year where I was making first contact and then just not being able to get them through to the next phase and that was because I wasn't sales focused and I didn't have a process so I learned very quickly to change that up um, and Make, be making sure that I was kind of going in and asking for the money. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's so important. And again, it's that whole kind of goal element as well is tied in. You know, what do you do when you get the first phone call? What do you say to that person? What's the, you know, let's make it practical rather than strategic. What, what's the first email that you send them? What's included in that? When do you provide them proof that you're good at your, what you're doing? When do you have the pricing conversation? What's the step after that? How do you send your proposal through? What does that look like? How often do you follow up? How often do you go back to your clients three months later and reconnect with them? We're going to come on to this in a minute. But, you know, if even if right now, all copywriters could just take a pen and paper and say, well, if, if someone comes in via this route, you know, what are my steps? What are my steps to get them to the point where they paid my deposit? And you might not have that perfectly mapped out, but you should start thinking about it because then you can look and go, ah, oh, you know, maybe I need another step between here and here. I send the proposal and then I don't hear. Maybe I could do with a follow-up email that I could template, send out two weeks later. Maybe that's the point where I make a phone call or maybe that's the point where I do this. Um, one of the little resources, we'll share the resources, we'll share the, um, the link to Sarah's blog about customer personas and also in the shop, we have some really nice email templates that take you through every step of the client process from day dot through to getting your testimonial at the end. Um, so I'll share that as well. So important. It, you can't be afraid of selling because otherwise you'll be a very wonderful, wonderful writer with no clients whatsoever. I think people focus a lot on upping their skills as how to write the perfect USP and how to you know, do taglines and press releases. They maybe need to focus a bit more on how to be how to grow some lady balls or balls or labia, whatever, whatever your choice of genitals is, bottom, and, and, and how to therefore go back out to clients and, and, and just you know, sell your services. So let's talk about one of the most commonly cliched statements in marketing, that it's easier to keep a client than it is a win a client. So how do we reconnect, retain, and get more money out of existing clients? Yeah, so I mean, really, this is customer service, isn't it? I mean, I think probably um, I may be preaching to the converted a little bit um, in this uh, little um, in the in the copywriter 
um, area. But the whole process of customer retention is is really focused on strategies to make your clients stay with you. Um, and I think probably for copywriters, there is an enormous amount of repeat work, um, especially, um, you know, uh, when someone has found a good copywriter that works specifically for them. So, you know, going the extra mile, um, and, but also making sure that as importantly um, in being customer focused, we also make sure that we protect ourselves and have boundaries around this as well. Um, as freelancers, we often talk about, um, you know, not being taken advantage of, uh, uh, which also speaks to the previous point a little bit in terms of the sales process. We were talking earlier about, you know, people working with eliminating um, working with people who we don't want to work with um, the sales process enables us to, to determine um, who the tire kickers are um, but also um, you know uh, having boundaries around what you do um, is important um, I know one of the reasons my clients stick with me is is because of my honesty so I never over promise and under deliver I'm really really transparent in my processes and I like to transfer my knowledge and build marketing capability with my clients so it's really about having like a bullet point for yourself about what you're going to do every day in your business that will help um, make your customers more sticky I love that sticky customers uh, you know a really simple thing that I used to do when I was writing a lot was just you know you don't need to have a fancy CRM system you can have cards or you can have a spreadsheet just try and remember some detail about your client you know like and so when you're connecting with them you're like how's the cat it doesn't have to be super cheesy but how's the cat is it any better or or look here's you, you know you sell beach balls I just saw this really interesting article about beach balls yesterday and just sending that along um so that you keep in the conversation and the, the friendliness up do you know what I mean I think that's really important and not being afraid to upsell cross-sell hey I did your website I was noticing that you still don't have your opt-in set up but I've got a great little offer on the go at the moment to write an opt-in and five follow-up emails just thought you might be interested no worries if not you know or even a simple email that says this is my classic line I'm giving all away my secrets here but I used to just send emails to clients going hey I'm planning out my work for September and October should I keep a, a, a bob shaped hole in my schedule and um, not that all my clients were called bob I wish they had been but it was more around saying hey look you know, I, I, do you need me? Do you want me? And sometimes that was enough to just spark them to go, hey, yeah, you know what? I would like that. Thank you very much. So keeping the communication up, I like the being honesty. Okay, we're going to finish off with two fairly swift points, uh, number nine and number 10. Number nine is understanding that your marketing is integrated. It's in your DNA. What do you mean? Yeah, so I think hopefully we'll have um, kind of expressed this um, in the last little wee while. Um, so it's not a department. It's not something that you add on at the end. It's integrated in everything that you do on a daily basis. Um, so, you know, the whole point of this is to make your customer feel connected to you exactly as you've just said. Um, I love the idea, like you said, about sending um, people emails on a regular basis with insights that you found into their business, those sorts of things. So marketing, I like to say, is a core business function and it's a process and we need to start treating it like that so it's centered on sales and growth and creating customer value simple i love that so yeah that process thing is everything well let's finish up with our final point which is around proof points so you know why should people care why should people believe what we're saying so number 10 how do we how do we why is that important and how should we do it 
So this is uh, really about creating those compelling messages. And as copywriters, you know, I guess you're doing it all day, every day for your clients, but you forget to do it for yourself. Um, so spend some time on actually doing the messages that resonate with your clients. Um, so, you know, the, the whole things that we've been talking about earlier, understanding their needs and grabbing their attention. I don't know about you, Kate, but I love it when I get something, whether it be a flyer in the mail these days or I see something on the television or in a newspaper and instantly it resonates with me and it's kind of, oh, these guys do get me and I want to work with them. I'm compelled to work with them because they look like they give a damn you know so really making people care the other way that you can demonstrate that is obviously through um things like testimonials case studies awards and lists of customers that will all be on your website so those are your um what we refer to as your proof points yeah although you say they should all be on your website i see far too many websites that have no client logos no testimonials none of this stuff so it's so important to you know if you're worried about what to share this week it's very quick and easy to put a testimonial graphic together and reshare it and reshare it and reshare it you know but maybe try and move beyond that into some more creative ways so look i'm going to do a nice little wrap up because it's always nice to have a nice little wrap up tip number one understand your customer Two, don't, for, don't find clients for your services, find services for your clients. Three, differentiate yourself. Four, have a goal in mind. That's my favorite. Five, understand the, understand the landscape you're operating in. That's SWOT analysis. Have a vision. It's a bit woo, but it will save you on the dark days. Have a sales process. Reconnect and retain your existing clients. Understand that marketing is in every single thing that you do. And finally, create proof points and make people understand that you really, really care. Sarah, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the Hot Coffee Thank Podcast. Thank you for having me. Some great, great, she said bottom again. Some great tips there. I'm going to include links to all Sarah's, Sarah's bits and bobs, including her bottom, <laughs> on the show notes for Hot Copy Podcast. So, Sarah, thank you very much. Thank you. Regular listeners will know that at this time of the show, we read out a review, but we don't have any because none of you are writing reviews. So if you've enjoyed the show, please head to iTunes or wherever you had this podcast and leave us a glowing review and we will give you a shout out on the show. Also, you can head to hotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode and connect with Sarah. So that's it for this week. Until next time, bottom. Happy writing. Thanks for listening right to the end. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy my two other podcasts. I have one called The Recipe for SEO Success, which is all about SEO tips, advice, and helping you grapple the Google beast. And my other, The Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, which is all about dealing with the stresses of running your own business. You can find both of them on iTunes and Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Here we go. Let's get started. Let's get ready to rumble. Do you remember Ant and Deck? Yes, I do. Oh, I loved Ant and Deck. Which is your favourite? Ant or Deck? Oh, Deck, I think. I think Deck was over. Ant Ant wasn't very attractive, really, was he? No. And they're on um, the the What's It show now, aren't they? Uh, Yeah. A British talent thing. They still look 14. Yeah, they do. (laughs) 